Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good morning from Coolidge, Arizona. It's October the 4th, I believe, 2020, and we are once again involved in our uh, lesson of this period concerning the Gospel of John and how that, of course, concerns the Messiah of God. So, I'd like to welcome those to the broadcast this morning. We are still in John, the first chapter, um, and we're going to be picking up just after the baptism of Jesus. Um, and then, of course, uh, on the morrow, as the Bible says, he was declared the Lamb of God by John the Immerser. You know, if you... Um, ever studied a harmonized gospel book uh, there's a number of them around not all of them are uh, very accurate but some are pretty good uh, the, the gospels are not in 
perfect uh, chronological order with each other. Um, there's things that are spoke of and other things that are not spoke of, even though the narrative goes forth uh, from uh, John here, begins at the beginning before time, before creation, but most of them are talking about the birth of Jesus. and So we have some differences there. But still, uh, they, they harmonize so well that you can actually do a harmonizing of the Gospels. And it's incredible. Um, but they're not a perfect chronology. And uh, in this little area that we're in right here, we find some differences. Um, but it's when we read them all, when we put them together, of course, uh, we're in John, but if you put this together with the other three, you'll find how uh, there's even more to the account. But the, because of the way this one's presented, I really appreciate it. Now, um, on the morrow, uh, that's the way I believe my uh, my Young's uh, Living uh, Bible, or my Young's uh, literal. literal, yeah, literal, translation uh, reads, and I believe the, uh, the American Standard reads pretty much the same way. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a dynamic statement. It, it isn't something just said under the breath, okay? It was, it's a proclamation, if you will. Um, and I, and it's, uh, it just really rings out. Uh, and we're going to see it rings out, and, and others heard it. And others considered, what does this mean? You know, on the morrow, and this was the the day after the baptism of Jesus. Um, it seems to be very closely associated. I was just noticing that um, John chapter one, when it's talking about Jesus coming to John for baptism, and, and then on the morrow, if you go to John chapter two, it begins, and the third day. Uh, now, I don't know if, uh, I, I think we're actually talking about a pretty close situation here, but it may not be. It may have simply been the third day in another way, but these things are moving right along in, uh, in John. So let's look at uh, John chapter 1, verses 35 through 39, and... We read uh, these words. On the morrow again, John was standing with two of his disciples. Now, we see here that John the Immerser had disciples. He had those that were working with him. As a matter of fact, these baptisms that he was doing were not done by just him. The, the, the way that they were done and still done today is a man on each side. Uh, baptizing people. It's a lot quicker. Uh, it's very uh, very functional. And uh, there were many people lined up to be baptized in these days. So he had disciples, those that were learning from him, those that were listening to what he was saying. Remember, he was a prophet of God. He was, he was making way straight and clear, the path for Messiah. And what he was saying was very 
interesting to Jewish people because it was he was speaking of the nearness of the kingdom. Verse 36, And having looked on Jesus walking, he saith, Lo, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speaking, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus, having turned, having beheld them following, said to them, What seek ye? And they said to him, Rabbi, uh, which is being interpreted teacher, where remainest thou? And he said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he doth remain, and with him they remained that day an hour, and the hour was about the tenth. Now, the word remained, and most of our Bibles would have where he was staying, where he was lodging, if it's King James, uh, that sort of thing. So, uh, this account's interesting. Lo, the Lamb of God, and having heard that proclaimed by John, the immerser, two of the disciples of the immerser followed Jesus. Now, you know, this is an interesting thing. Uh, why do you think this would happen? Uh, this, is a, this is a real window, if you will, uh, cut into the, to this text for us to peer into, if you will, and see the dynamic issues that are, are happening right here with John and Jesus and men that were to become his followers, Jesus' followers. Let's look at uh, the Gospel of John. Just move up ahead a little bit. I want to show you a couple verses. John chapter 6, verse 40. Later on, of course, in the ministry of Jesus, we find out something about uh, the idea of why, why people respond to things being said. <clears throat> Jesus, of course, is... He's got a debate going here with uh, some of the leaders of the Jews. And uh, they're going back and forth. But here it says, And this is the will of him who sent me, Jesus said, that everyone who is beholding the Son and is believing in him may have life without end. And I will raise him up in the last day. The Jews, therefore, were murmuring at him. Because he said, I am the bread that came down out of the heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we have known? How then say this one out of heaven, I have come down? Jesus answered, therefore, and said to them, Murmur not with one another. Verse 44. No one is able to come unto me if the Father who sent me may not draw them, and I will raise him up on the last day. I'm going to go to verse 48. It is, it is having been written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God, everyone therefore who heard from the Father and learned cometh to me. This is Jesus quoting the prophets here. 
Verse 46. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he who is believing in me hath life without end. I am the bread of life. And of course, they had problems with that statement too. Uh, but here we have an interesting fact. Did you notice about what Jesus said that no one can come to me unless the Father draw him? Now, you see, the, some people use this as that we're, we have no real say in the matter. We're just drug to Jesus. We're just, we're saved without any of our, anything uh, that we are doing on our own behalf um, or any response we are having to the, the, the gospel message. That's not what that means. You know, there is a word, another uh, idea. Uh, there's a number of Greek words that, that go around this thinking. This word is not the word drag. In other words, by force, forcibly removed, drug away, such as that. This is a different Greek word, a different word. But in English, it looks the same, doesn't it? That's a problem. This is the word draw in Greek. It's helku, I believe. And it means to draw by intellect or a response intellectually, uh, emotionally, not by force. So this is, this is our response to something that we have seen or heard. And the same word is used, the same Greek word is used, when, when Jesus spoke about um, men being drawn to him on the cross. And, and then when the scripture writes about men being drawn to him while he was on the cross. A response, you see. A response. That's not being drug. It's, it's the draw of God. So that needs to be clarified. It needs to be understood. Uh, because, you know, the... The insidious, insidious virus of Calvinism that's deadly in my estimation, it, it implies and it teaches that one is drug. And not only that, held. Uh, all of these things contrary to the scriptures and that should not be taught under the banner of Christ. The other, the other thing that's interesting here, be, besides the draw, is the idea of seek. And what did Jesus um, say to them? What seek thee? See, he looked back. Of course, he probably knew they were following, but he looked back and he asked them. He wanted to hear what they, what they want, was going to say. He knew why they were following him. They were, John had just said something that, you know, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You suppose maybe that could be motivation for following after such a one as they're walking away. And they're already calling him rabbi, which means that he's a teacher. But here we find... Um, Jesus saying, what seek thee? In verse 38, Jesus turned, and having beheld them, 
following saith to them, What seek they? I just think that's also incredible. But let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Jesus knows what the word seek means. And in this case, the one they're following is the seeking in a, in a, in a, a mission that they should be on. All right, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 6 of Hebrews. And apart from faith, it is, a, it is impossible to please well, that is God, for it behooveth him who is coming to God to believe that he is, and to those seeking him to become a rewarder. You know, that's one of the things that um, uh, Brother David always emphasized, the idea that God is hidden, and it is on us to be seeking God, but don't you hear just the opposite in the world we live in? Absolutely. That God is seeking the, this one and that one and drawing them to himself? Is that the way it is? No. Not the way it is. We're seeking sinners. Right. The gospel message is out there, and when you as a sinner come into contact with it, you come to an understanding. And many people are seeking to know more. But you see, you can't be pleasing to God unless you have faith that he exists and that you diligently seek him to be close to him. And then the last part of this, uh, in verse 39, after they were seeking him, and he asked them the question, and they gave him an answer that they wanted to see where he was staying. Well, they just wanted to get to know him. They just wanted to know where everything about him. And he didn't criticize them for that, but he made it very clear by say, by simply saying to him, and I guess in the most friendly way you could ever, come and see. Come and see. You know, that's what the gospel message does. That's what the gospel message is. And that's what Jesus is saying, I guess if you would say, if there's a, as Jesus has invited all to come unto him, for his burden is not heavy. It's the Lord's invitation to us, to all of us, and to everyone to come and see. But you know, coming and seeing is something that we need to be doing. How about the, the third the disciple that might have been standing by there and saw the other two walk off to follow Jesus, but he thought, well, I don't know much about it. I'll, I think I'll just stay here. You see, not everyone wants to come and see. Not, not everyone is going to respond uh, the way that they probably should because we have so many, so many uh, different situations that hinder us from going in the right direction every time. But the Lord says, come and see. And to them, because he was a stranger to them, 
outside of what John had just said, I, I think that was a very friendly thing to do, and that's just what happened. As we read, uh, that they, they spent the rest of the, they remained that day with them, with him. So, um, you know, there's so much in all of this because we're looking at personal situations that happen between people, uh, between John and those that came from Jerusalem to question him, uh, and then what Jesus said to him and what he said about Jesus, and, and his disciples were all there to see these things happening, heard the voice from heaven. It doesn't, you know, the Bible doesn't say that they all heard. John heard. And, of course, Jesus heard. I don't know that all heard, but I think they may have. But we have another case where uh, Saul of Tarsus heard a voice from heaven, but all those with him heard what they thought was thunder and noise in the, in the heavens. Um, so I'm not sure, but uh, there are other cases where all the apostles heard the voice from heaven. So we don't know for sure. Um, but but I want to well, I just want to impress you with the fact that the sight of Jesus and the things said about Jesus by John himself, who came to be the one to announce the Messiah, those words had power enough for these two men to follow him, and that started um, that started the actual the calling, if you will, of the rest of the apostles. Um, at least one of these men uh, became an apostle later on. So, uh, if we look at uh, verse 40 through 51, <clears throat> let's read it because it's the rest of this account uh, that started with these two men following Jesus and him they staying with him that day. And it says in verse 40, Andrew, the, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two who heard from John and followed him. So they announce, you know, the Bible names one but not the other. And I don't know who the other one is. I've looked. <laughs> but uh, in verse 41, it goes on, This one doth first find his own brother Simon. Let's see, after this time he spent, Andrew spent, with Jesus, he went and found Simon and said to him, listen closely, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the anointed, or the anointed one uh, that the Old Testament speaks of so much. Also, I, I will say that he said, we, not I have found, we have found. I think he thought that most of the disciples of John the Immerser, they really believed this was the Messiah. I think that was the idea, the, the, the big picture. In verse 42, And he brought him unto Jesus, and having looked upon him, Jesus saith, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonas, and uh, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is interpreted a rock. 
or a, a pebble, small rock, if you will. On the morrow, he willed, that is, Jesus willed, to go forth to Galilee. And he findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Be following me. And Philip was, was from Bethsaida, of the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith to him, Him of whom Moses wrote in the law and the prophets, We have found Jesus, the son of Joseph, who is from Nazareth. And Nathanael said to him, Out of Nazareth is anything able to be? Anything good able to be? And Philip said to him, Come and see. <laughs> so he, he actually went to see, didn't he? See, it takes an effort on our part. We're always involved. Jesus saw Nathanael coming unto him, and he saith concerning him, Lo, truly an Israelite in whom guile is not. Nathanael said to him, Whence me dost thou know? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called thee, thou being under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, thou dost believe. Greater things than these shall thou see. And he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say to you, henceforth you shall see the heaven open and the messengers of God going up and coming down upon the Son of Man. Well, there's so much in there. Um, you know, one of the, one of the most uh, th these personalities here are really incredible. Um, and you know, the thing that gets me is when one person, as an individual, came to understand who Jesus was, this Jesus of Nazareth, they went and found somebody else and brought them to him. That, you know, that is what, if you're looking for a pattern, that's it. That's the pattern that we're supposed to do. That's the normal thing to do, the normal reaction. You know, I have a, a little thing I used to say concerning uh, the gospel. And it be, God, the gospel is what saves us, right? Well, I, I compare that to, what if your neighbor came over, you were talking over the fence, he said, well, I don't have long to live, I've got such and such disease, and the, apparently there's no cure for it. So as you're talking about it, 
you go home and you take out your medical book, you start searching for the thing the man was talking about, and you find that there is a remedy for that. How many people would not tell their neighbor immediately about that remedy? I'll bet there aren't. I mean, I'm not. I'm putting aside the fact you might not like your neighbor. I mean, whatever that is. But I think that nearly everyone is going to immediately contact their neighbor about that physical ailment that is uh, deadly. Sin is deadly, and yet we don't seem to co- we don't seem to have the same same motive to help everyone out of sin. I have that feeling on my own self. And it's, it just is, it's just not right. Here we see how one man went after the other. How Jesus called people. How, you know, we know that many of the apostles were brothers, you know, and uh, even uh, other relatives. There could have even been... Um, one of them could have been a, a son of one of the other older apostles. We, we're not sure. Um, but here we find um, some differences in the Gospels. You know, uh, if you read all the rest of the Gospels, you would swear that um, that on the day, uh, as we go to chapter 2 of John, uh, we find that there's, quite a few more um, people mentioned here as, as his disciples at that point than we find in the other the other Gospels. We only have the four. We have Andrew and Peter and, um, and James and John. We don't have a mention of the others, but they, they were with them uh, for the first part, and before it was over, there were 12. Actually, there were a lot more. There were 70 or 72 and from that group, Jesus picked the twelve. Let's look at Matthew, uh, uh, just a couple places here. Matthew chapter 4, verses 17 through 22. See, this is all part of the gospel message, knowing about Jesus, knowing about his uh, disciples, became apostles, because those are the ones that we deal with from the end of John on through Acts and through the rest of the Bible. But here in uh, Matthew 4:17, from that time Jesus uh, from the time began Jesus to proclaim and say, reform ye, for come nigh hath the reign of the heavens. Well, in a little more contemporary language, that's repent because the kingdom of heaven is a, is nigh. That's what it was. Jesus, this was Jesus' message. He wasn't preaching the gospel. He was preaching the fact that it was nigh. Um, you know, how come, you know, we'll accept the word nigh here, but later on in the epistles, we, we won't accept that word anymore. We won't accept any time statements. And it's talking about the same thing. And we're talking about the same thing, is right. These time statements mean something. It's obvious here. It has to be true here. Everybody that's a Christian has to would admit, oh yeah, that's it wasn't there yet, it was nigh. How about the other things? Well, 
that's a departure, but let's go on. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon named Peter and Andrew his brother, casting and dragging into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Come ye after me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately, having left their nets, did follow him. Before I move on, I want to remember what happened in John. It was a little different account, right? You see, this is what a Bible teacher taught me a long time ago um, about this. He says, oh, that, that's true. They, they followed him that day, but they already had known him. And I thought, well, I, I don't know, but I looked around. I couldn't find where they had already known him. But you see, if you read all the Gospels and, and put it together and remember it, you realize that they had been known. But they went back to their fishing. Remember, they had these men had families to feed. Uh, they still had to work. But there came a day, there came a day that they followed him and they didn't stop. So, and having advanced thence, he saw two other brothers, James of Zebedee and John, his brother, in the boat with, the, with their, uh, their father Zebedee, refitting their nets, and he called them. And they immediately, having left the boat and their father, did follow him. And then it goes on into the, the ministry. Now let's look at chapter 10, 1 through 4. Yeah, Matthew 10, 1 through, uh, 1 through 4. This is quite a bit later, of course, in the account. Uh, matter of fact, probably uh, could be a full year or better. <clears throat> I won't I want to say that for sure because I haven't checked it. But And having called to him his 12 disciples, he gave to them the power over unclean spirits, so that as to be casting them out, and to be healing every sickness and every malady. And of the twelve apostles, the names of these were now that now they're called apostles, and they were called disciples. All right. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James of Zebedee, and John his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James of Alphaeus and Levens, who was surnamed Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, who did also deliver him up. These twelve did Jesus set forth, having given command to them, saying, To the way of the nations go not away and unto a, a city of the Samaritans, go not in. Now their instructions, of course, were to, to be only to the Jews. This was the time of the ministry, the part of the ministry that was to the Jews and the Jews alone. Remember, the Jews had the promise from God, and they were receiving their promise, and every effort was going towards them and the revealing of that promise and and the hope of that promise you know i keep coming back to the question about who that unnamed 
disciple of John the Immerser was. And uh, uh, I don't know. I feel, almost feel guilty wanting to know. <laughs> but it would be, uh, it doesn't really um, make a lot of difference. But I got a feeling that this person, if they were a disciple of John, they would have become a disciple of Jesus. Um, you know, it wasn't long before John was gone and his disciples were dispersed, if you will. And I'm, I'm sure that the lion's share of them, even though we don't know for a fact, did, of course, come to, come to Jesus and um, were following the work of Jesus quite closely. <clears throat> so uh, that man is unnamed, but he was still there. And he, he still wanted to follow Jesus. He still wanted to know about Jesus. And Jesus invited him also, along with Andrew. But the declaration of the apostles, soon to be apostles, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Messiah. And, you know, they're doing this the very first day almost that they met him because of the things he said. Well, what he said to Nathaniel that day um, about seeing him under the fig tree, well, that was just one thing he said. The first thing he told Nathaniel and everybody there that Nathaniel was an Israelite without guile. That meant he was a truthful man, living, not living any lie, not promoting any, was a true Israelite without guile. And that's a, that's a phenomenal statement to be made about somebody. Of course, he knew. And by the way, after he, everyone heard that he told Nathaniel that he saw him under the fig tree before his brother came to him, I think at that point everybody else that was there also knew that Nathaniel had no guile. Because if that was true, and Nathaniel said it was, then what Jesus said concerning Nathaniel is also true. And I think this is how we need to look at the Bible uh, in, in another sense. Is the Bible, as it rolls out from cover to cover, it, it declares itself to be true by the things that it says. Not just the declaration, but the evidence of it, uh, historically, if you will, um, and, and other ways, such as this. We don't know Nathaniel. We don't, we don't know where he was before he sat down under that fig tree. But we do know what happened that day. And these are the miracles. You know, people clamor for miracles today to prove that something is really true. Well, this is a miracle. For us, we can't do this. We have no ability to do such a thing as this. And yet we read about it. We know it's true. If it wasn't true, someone would wrote a, about 20 books about how that really didn't happen and they know Nathaniel and he wasn't under the tree or whatever. We don't find anything like that. 
We don't find literature like that, really. The furthest thing I've ever found concerning Jesus is uh, books that were written, I think it's the lost uh, 27 years or something of Jesus where he traveled to India to get his wisdom and things like that. So why don't we go to India to get wisdom then? Oh, that's right, the Beatles did that. But Nonetheless, uh, that's not what happens for us, and it didn't happen with Jesus either. We know where he was. He was working on uh, building projects with uh, Joseph in those early days. He was a Jewish man living the life of a Jew under the law, under the, the oversight of his parents until he came of age. <clears throat> and then Jesus, yes. There was a nation, or at least a, at least a, pretty, good, a pretty good population of people that witnessed miracles and witnessed his miracles, and they hammered him to the tree anyway. That's, that's very you know, true. Walked away, and and any very whatever kind of rejection you want to think about, and I think about that too. So if the miracles ain't gonna. I mean, if miracles didn't work then, well, yeah. they're certainly not convincing to everyone. And uh, you, you're right, and that's something we need to think about. They are miracles occurred to to uh, make, show forth that the messenger came from the power of God. With Jesus, with the prophets, with the apostles, that's what they're for. It's not a magic trick. It's not one needs to be bigger than the next. Because that's where we're at today. People go to a church because they heard about a miracle. They see one and then, well, they get a little tired of the same old thing. They want to go to another place where they have bigger miracles. Of course, that's that's uh, that's that's a real problem and a bad thinking pattern. Well, we're out of time today, but we're going to pick up in the second chapter of John uh, that begins, as I said, and the third day there was a marriage in Cana. We're going to deal with um, the uh, Jesus as he went to Cana uh, and all that occurred there at that wedding, which is uh, more evidence, of course, of the messiahship of Jesus and more personal accounts that so add to the, the writing here uh, between mother and, and son here and the other people there. So I hope these things have been useful to you today as we go through John and uh, come close to the, uh, the power of these words. We pray you have a blessed week as you serve the Lord. We pray this in his name. Amen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.